this morning, our 52 greatest stories. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings, so if you want to turn there, you can certainly do that. Um, I will give you a little heads up once we get close. But today's uh, title for the message is City on a Hill. City on a Hill. And so I think that's kind of appropriate for us here in Hill City. And next week, we're going to, of course, be in Palm Sunday. We're going to kind of deviate out of the uh, Old Testament into the New Testament for a couple of weeks. And so you get a, a little break from all those names that you can't really pronounce. Um, and I've certainly stumbled over my share of them. And so we'll be uh, heading into the Gospels next week. But in our, our message today, we're picking it up where, where David is, is following in his father's, or excuse me, Solomon is following in his father David's footsteps. Solomon's been anointed king of all of Israel and He's been given this task of completing the temple that David so earnestly wanted to see built, this house for God. And the kingdom and the blueprints, they're in David's hands here now. And so we're gonna, as we read through the chapters for this week, um, if you've got the, the reading schedule for the, for the Bible, if not, it's on the high table in the commentary, pick one up. But the chapters were 5 through 8. And as we look through chapters of 5 through 8 of 1 Kings, we see a lot of size and numbers, uh, a lot of the details throughout all of that. And so you look at that as a whole and you wonder, well, okay, so what am I supposed to pull from this narrative of blueprints and, and the building process? And so this morning I want to suggest that we take five things away from this. I'm sure that we could dig deeper, and if we wanted the service to last longer, we could certainly find more than just five, but we're going to stay with just five for today. Five observations that we can apply to our lives, because God is still in the business of building temples. Solomon here is only 20 years of age when he became king and sitting on the throne of his father David and as we get into the 5th through 8th chapter, he's now four years older. At the age of 24, he is the king sitting on the throne and about to launch into a building project of mammoth proportions. Now, it's not the size of the temple itself that was mammoth proportions. Actually, they say it was only about 2,700 square feet. But it was of mammoth proportions because of the quality and the quantity of the materials that were going into it and also the manpower as well. You know, for fun, some have tried to estimate what would it cost if we were to build Solomon's temple, the temple for God today. In U.S. dollars, what would it cost? One estimated that it would be over $100 billion dollars. Now, I must admit, I didn't calculate those expenses out. I didn't see what the current, you know, prices for going on uh, for gold or silver or bronze or anything like that. For some reason, I had other things to do this week, and so just didn't get to that. Um, but I have to admit, when you look at, at that there was all this cedar, and then it's covered with gold, you can see where it would have been a, a rather pricey process. It just was not going to be a cheap build. And I think about a year ago when 
here I was, a newbie lead pastor, and I'm looking through all the, the documents of the church and stuff like that and look at the insurance policy and realize that we're grossly underinsured. And I'm like, okay, so get some estimates. And the estimates come in, and the value of our facility is over a million dollars. And I'm like, and I'm in charge of that? <laughs> it, was a, it was a very humbling realization that's a lot of money that I would be called to steward over a million dollar facility and that's just the facility because all of the people of course your worth is priceless and so it, it is just incredibly humbling but can you imagine being a 24 year old general contractor of the temple of God any God-fearing leader with a shred of humility would easily see that this was no small matter. But of course, then being crowned king of God's chosen nation would not have been either. And so maybe that's what led Solomon to respond to God's question as he did. Because God had asked him the question, what is it that you want? as Solomon became king. And so we're going to start off with reading Solomon's response to that, and that's in 1 Kings chapter 3. And I'll give you time to, to turn there if you've got your Bibles, and then I will pray for the word. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for your word. It is timeless. There is always something that we can glean from your word. And Lord, I pray today is no different that we would take away exactly what you want us to take away. And Lord, it might not be the same for everybody because you speak to us uniquely with, with the situations that we're currently in and maybe even the things that we'll be facing in the future. And so, Lord, may your word not return void today as you promise. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So 1 Kings chapter 3, starting with verse 5. God's word says, That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by myself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. Now, the scripture goes on to tell us that Solomon didn't just receive wisdom from God, though. God also gave him fame and riches and a promise of a long life if he followed God and obeyed his decrees and commands. You might wonder, well, I'm in a situation right now where I could really use some of God's wisdom. How do I get God's wisdom? You ask. You ask. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, starting with verse 5, says, If you need wisdom, 
Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. In other words, God knows that we need his wisdom, and he wants us to ask, so he's not going to say, mm, nope, sorry, that measure of wisdom, you, you can't have it. He's not going to chastise us for asking for it. He encourages us to ask him for wisdom because he knows that we need his wisdom in order to make godly decisions. But James adds this caution as well, continuing with verse 6. He says, but when you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They are unstable in everything they do. So if you need wisdom, ask. But we want to make sure that we are earnestly trusting in God alone. Not God and our checkbook, not God in our own understanding, not God in our stuff and our stuff, just God. Not God and. Ask for wisdom, but be sure your faith is in God alone. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Something to tuck in your back pocket. <laughs> getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. So first, ask for wisdom. Second thing we can take away is affirm others' worth. Solomon desired the highest quality of materials in this project, adding these high-quality materials to the materials his father had already acquired. And he does this with a little name-dropping. Solomon shares his plan with one of his father's loyal friends, King Hiram. In 1 Kings chapter 5, starting with verse 5, Solomon says, So I am planning to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, just as he had instructed my father David. For the Lord told him, Your son, whom I will place on your throne, will build the temple to honor my name. Therefore, please command that cedars from Lebanon be cut, from me, cut for me, let my men work alongside yours, and I will pay your men whatever wages you ask. As you know, there is no one among us who can cut timber like you Sidonians. You see, good things happen when you affirm others. It encourages them. It inspires them to do their best. They want to be able to respond to your requests if you will affirm their worth. Of course, we know that our unmerited worth comes from God, but when we affirm others, they feel respected. They feel that their gifts are appreciated and that they have worth, and they certainly do. So whether it be in your family or your school or workplace, community, or in the church, we want to affirm others' worth. Of course, we want to do it with all sincerity as well. And a likely bonus that comes along with that is peace. We have peace with one another because we're respecting one another and the things that we can contribute, sometimes just simply by who, being who we are. So we want to affirm others' worth. Third, we want to accept help. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, well, no, I, I, I can't ask for help. And I always want to say, 
do you have any idea if if you were to ask somebody for help how blessed that person's going to be to be able to meet that need for you and for some reason people can't seem to see that point in that but solomon he had the wisdom to know that he couldn't take on this major building project on his own even if he was the best artisan in all of israel there is no way that he was going to be able to do this project on his own he needed workers he needed help and so he enlisted which kind of was like a draft um 30,000 men he hired 70,000 common laborers here's where all these numbers are starting to come in 80,000 quarry workers and 3,600 foremen that's a lot of workers it seems like an awful lot of men to build a temple of 27,000 square feet. But I tell you, after sending out the mailing, gathering materials, building the props, doing the setup, providing the treats, holding the event, doing the cleanup, doing the teardown, and the packing, which still some of that needs to happen, just for the community Easter event, I believe that Solomon needed that many workers. <laughs> it takes a lot of people to contribute to get something done. But God plans it that way, especially in the body of Christ. He wants us to not do it alone. He wants us to ask for help. He wants us to do this in community. That kind of models who he is with our with the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're doing it in community. We're supposed to do likewise. And it's a lot of fun because we get to build relationships as we work together as a team, as we labor together, as we encourage each other. And and you you start to grow in authenticity with one another if you're working day in and day out and trying to figure projects out it's pretty obvious not we don't all have it figured out as we we do these things and we built this balloon over that speaker in the audit or in the commons area and and with that it's like we're not sure how we're going to do this but we're going to get it done and and it was it was just you just have to be real when you're doing those kind of projects and so again it's it's growing in grace and authenticity together of course that is part of our mission of this church is to partner with you in helping you find a place certainly it's helping you find your place in the body of Christ but it's also helping you find a place to serve and so if you're needing help please don't be too prideful to ask for help because you're gonna bless somebody else by them being able to help you out so keep that in mind and I remind myself of the same thing so accept help and watch what blessings God provides or through it. And that's going to be for all involved. Fourth, we want to acknowledge God's faithfulness. And God had promised to David that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne and that one of his sons would build a house for God. That promise was fulfilled in the immediate through Solomon as far as sitting on the throne and also building a house for God. So as Solomon completed the temple for God, he acknowledged God's faithfulness. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 20 says, And now the Lord has fulfilled the promise he made. 
For I have become king in my father's place, and now I sit on the throne of Israel just as the Lord promised. I have built this temple to show or temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. The Bible is full of God's promises to his people. Some of them will be fulfilled in the immediate. Some of them will not be fulfilled into the new heaven and new earth. But because of his glory and his excellence, God has given us great promises, precious promises that he will fulfill. Ones like to be our strength, to always be with us, to supply our needs, to be our defender, and of course many more. And God is faithful to keep his promises. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. God is a faithful God. It is who he is. So even if we're unfaithful, God remains faithful with his part. But we have to keep in mind that many of his promises are conditional on our keeping our part, though. doesn't change God's faithfulness. It's just that we've fallen short on our part. God's faithful, or our unfaithfulness does not negate God's faithfulness. And it doesn't, his faithfulness doesn't negate our responsibility either. So we want to acknowledge God's faithfulness. Lastly, we want to attribute success to God. Scripture tells us in Psalm 127, 1a, it says, unless the, build, the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Or as the message words it, if God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. <laughs> and a shack doesn't have much value, does it? It isn't very sturdy. It doesn't withstand the test of time. And so it simply means if God isn't what we're in what we're building, it's not going to last. It's not going to stand the test of time. It's not going to have eternal value. Continuing with verse 23 and 24 in the 8th chapter, Solomon's here, Scripture says, and he prayed, and Solomon prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven above or on the earth below. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. You made that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands. You have fulfilled it today. Solomon attributed the successful building project to God. With your own hands, you have fulfilled it, O Lord. So whether it be, again, in our family, our communities, our church, a business, God is the one who builds it. Without God building it, we're just going to labor in vain. It's not going to have lasting effect. It's not going to have eternal value. Of course, the exciting part is that God still wants to build his kingdom, and he wants to build his kingdom here. And so whether that here be us individually or our own families or whether it be collectively in our church or in our community, God is the builder. And he gives us the blueprint for what he wants built through the power of the Holy Spirit, guiding us as we spend time in his presence in prayer. He's the one that's still building. 
Yes, he supplies the workers. That's us. He supplies the materials, the finances, supplies the skills and the talents. He gives us the privilege of partnering with him as you build his kingdom here. Hill City is by name and physically a city on a hill. But I believe that God also desires that it would be spiritually a city on a hill. Jesus said these words in his Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, that's where we come in. Because God is shining his light through us. He's placed us here as his church family, to bring the very light of Christ into the darkness that so many are living in. That he may comfort the brokenhearted, that he can proclaim freedom to the captives, release the prisoners. The temple that Solomon was to build was not a container for God, because God can't be contained. It was to be a place for his name to dwell that is a place where his presence and his character would be evident. That sure sounds like a follower of Christ. A place where God's presence and character is evident. Temples of the Holy Spirit. Temples of the living God. And we know that it's the Holy Spirit that draws people to Jesus and so when we invite God to build his character in us, when we let him shine his light from within us through our countenance and our attitudes and our actions, people are drawn to Christ. See, in Solomon's day, people would come from all over to see the temple that was built. A house for God. A place for the people to meet with God. But things have changed. Reading from our companion book, the author writes, the meeting point will no longer be a place. It will be a person. And it is through that person that God still meets his people. Anyone and everyone who comes to Jesus will find a personal encounter with the God who creates, redeems, and restores. See, no more priestly sacrifices in the temple. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross was once for all, opening the gate for forgiveness of sin and a personal relationship to all who will believe. And of course, believing is the beginning of God building his kingdom in us. When Solomon completed the house for God, he praised the Lord. And he prayed for the people. He was going, or I was going to have you, you write this down on your bulletin, and I figured it'd be a whole lot easier if I just wrote it out for you. And so it's on the back of, of your bulletin. So as I wanted you to have this ideal model 
of how or what we should desire in our, our walk with God, something that we should be praying for, and, and it's not exhaustive. There's other things too. So I, I printed it on the back, and Solomon didn't elaborate on them, and so neither am I going to. But we don't want the brevity of Solomon's prayer to be deceptive. In fact, what I want us to do is to ponder the question, what might God do if we earnestly prayed these prayers as we partner with him in building his kingdom here? What might he do? So here are Solomon's five basic requests. One, pray for God's presence. First Kings 8:57. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us or abandon us. Now on your bulletin, I've kind of changed it, so it might be a little different. I'm reading it out of scripture here. Two, for the desire to do God's will in everything and to obey God's word. Verse 58. May he give us the desire to do his will in everything and to obey all the commands, decrees, and regulations that he gave our ancestors. Three, for help with each day's needs. Verse 59. And may these words that I have prayed in the presence of the Lord be before him constantly, day and night, so that the Lord our God may give justice to me and to his people Israel according to each day's needs. It's kind of like that praying for our daily bread, praying for our daily needs. And the beautiful thing is that there's no expiration date on our prayers. That's the beautiful thing. But we want to pray. Four is for the spread of God's kingdom to the entire world. Verse 60 says, Then people all over the earth will know that the Lord alone is God and there is no other. We want the gospel to go all the way here to Uganda and all the way back, circling the whole globe. And five, for full devotion to God. Verse 61 and may you be completely faithful to the Lord our God. May you always obey his decrees and commands just as you are doing today. What might God build through us if we would earnestly pray Solomon's prayers or something similar to it? How might this city that is physically a city on the hill, that is named more or less, the city on the hill. How might it be transformed if we would pray this prayer? So I want to challenge all of us because not only will it maybe change our city, it certainly will change us. And so I want to challenge all of us to pray for God's presence and for, our, for obedience, to pray for God's help and for full devotion to pray for a great awakening and revival certainly in our town but also our community our families and the entire world 
And so let's determine to pray in one accord and see what God might do. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prayer of a man who was filled with your wisdom. Lord, I pray that you'd give us courage to come boldly to your throne and pray that you would do a great and mighty work, certainly in us, but as you do that in us, that it would also have an effect on those around us, Lord. That you would continue to build your kingdom here. Lord, that those that are hurting and suffering, that are lost and don't know you, Lord, would find home in your presence, that they would receive you as Savior, that there would be a great revival in this community because of how your spirit is working and moving. And Lord, we want to be a part of that. We want to see your kingdom built here. So God, we just thank you that you allow us to partner with you. And may we earnestly pray, Lord, that we would be obedient to you, that we would be in full devotion, that we would pray, Lord, for revival to break out, that we would pray for our needs to be met. Lord, that we would just pray for your presence to be in this place and to be in us. And Lord, we're excited to see what you're going to do as your people join together and pray. Your will be done. Your kingdom here just as it is in heaven. And we give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.